Let me get myself situated. We're going to be in Luke chapter 9, and we're really going to be there, Lord willing, over the next three days. I've got you all today, tomorrow, the next day, and so we're going to be camping out in Luke chapter 9. Matthew, Mark, Luke, Luke 9, and we're going to be thinking and talking about the most important decision you will ever make in your life. Matthew Weathers last night touched on this just a little bit, but the most important decision you will ever make in your life has to do with your response to the person of Jesus Christ. That is, hands down, the most important decision you will ever make. It will affect every other decision you make in your life. Some people reject Jesus Christ. They say, I don't want anything to do with him. Some people are indifferent to Jesus Christ. Eh, he's a good person, you know, like George Washington or Isaac Newton or something like that. But it really makes no difference in my life. And some people will recognize Jesus for who he is and they will fall before him. And they will entrust their life to him. We're calling this conference Totally His Conference. I love the fact that our theme never changes. You all like that? Every single year, it's Totally His Youth Conference. Youth conference, And that's what we're going to be talking about is what does it mean to be totally His? And the purpose of this conference is to encourage each of you to entrust yourself to Jesus Christ without reserve, without holding anything back. But I want to say that it's important to know Jesus if you're going to trust Him. It's very hard to entrust your life to Jesus Christ if you don't know who He is. Um, let me give you an illustration. Let's say you're back wherever you're from. You're walking down the sidewalk and this black SUV with tinted windows drives by and slows down and comes to a stop right there. And the window comes down and this creepy looking guy that you've never seen in your whole life says, hey, come over here. I've got something for you. What should you do? Good. You've learned well. Run for your life, right? Whatever you do, don't go towards the creepy guy. Run. Why should you run? Why? Because you don't know him, right? You don't know who he is. You can't trust him. But let's say that a few minutes later, another car comes by, you recognize the car, the, roll, the window rolls down, it's your mom. And she says, hey, come over here, get in, I've got something for you. What should you do? Run! <laughs> Run! <laughs> oh, no! Wrong illustration for high schoolers. Uh, um, you can generally <laughs> trust her, right? Because you know her, right? Uh, okay, you get my illustration. But it, it's very difficult to entrust your life to Jesus Christ if you have doubts concerning him. If you have questions, if you're not sure who he is. And so what I want us to do today is I want us to think about Jesus's identity. Who is Jesus? That's what we're going to be thinking about today. And I've named this the greatest person who ever lived. 
And then tomorrow and Friday, we're going to be thinking about Jesus's invitation. But you can't really respond to the invitation if you don't know who he is. That makes sense. You've got to know who he is before you can entrust your life to him. So today, Jesus in identity. It's kind of good, right? Jesus's identity. I, as he can remember, Jesus's invitation tomorrow and Friday. You're with me where we're headed for this week. Good. Um, one of the reasons I believe we have the four Gospels is so that you can get to know Jesus Christ. That's, it's, there's more to it, but we have four different perspectives on the life of Jesus Christ. And I want to encourage you at this time in your life, this particular season of your life, I want to really encourage you to go to the Gospels, read the Gospels, get to know the person of Jesus Christ. Uh, there's there's no better thing, no better foundation really you can lay in your life than to get to know Jesus Christ. Go to the Gospels. And we're going to be in Luke chapter 9. So turn to Luke chapter 9. And we're going to be looking at verses 18 through 22. And in verses 18 through 22, a question is raised. And the question that is raised is, who is Jesus? In fact, there's two questions that Jesus asks. He first asks, who do people say that I am? And then he asks the question, but who do you say that I am? Okay, so I want you to note those two questions as we read our passage here. Who is Jesus? Is he really the Son of God? Or is he just some random individual who lived 2,000 years ago who did maybe some great things or taught some great things? Who is he? So read with me. From Luke chapter 9, 18 through 22. You're with me? And it happened that while he was praying, that's while Jesus was praying, alone, the disciples were with him, and he questioned them, saying, and so he's been praying, and he's going to enter into a conversation now with his disciples, and he says, who do people say that I am? And the disciples answered and said, well, some say John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, but others that one of the prophets of old has risen again. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered and said, The Christ of God. But he warned them and instructed them not to tell this to anyone, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. So let's go to the Lord in prayer and commit this session to the Lord. Father, we, we come to you and we ask that you would open your word up to us, that you would speak to us, that you would open up our eyes, that we would recognize Jesus for who he is. Father, I come and recognize that not one of us would make this good confession, would recognize Jesus as the Son of God apart from the work of your Spirit. So we come and ask right now that you would be at work in our hearts by your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So I've got two parts to my session this morning. I've got, you see it there in your notes, I've got the confession, okay? The confession, who is Jesus? And Peter makes this great confession. And then secondly, I want us to think about the evidence. How can we know that Peter's confession is accurate? 
is true. Okay, so we have a confession and we have the evidence. So Jesus asked the question, who do people say that I am? Can you guess what the first blank is in your notes? People, good. Who do people say that I am? Out there, what do people think of me? And they start giving answers. Oh, well, maybe John the Baptist or Elijah or one of the prophets. Now, they could have been a little bit, they were pretty nice to Jesus because they could have been saying something like, well, some people say you're a drunkard. Some people say you're a sinner. Some people say, you know, all sorts of things about you. But they were being kind to Jesus and they say, well, a lot of people are saying you're a great man. You're a great prophet, but you're just a prophet. You're just a man. Does that make sense? You're a great person, but you're just a person. Another person like every other person. You're, you might be from God, but you are not God. That's what the crowds are saying. But then he asks a more pointed question. And the more pointed question, the more personal question is, but who do you say that I am? What do you say about me? And that's really important, right? I think it's important for us this morning because there comes a point in your life where you have to stop being swayed by what everybody else thinks about Jesus. You've got to stop listening to what the crowds are saying out there. And you've got to decide for yourself, who is Jesus? You've got to come to your own conclusions. You've got to face his life. You've got to face his words. You've got to face this person of Jesus Christ. And you have to come to your own conclusion. Who is Jesus? That's a big thing to do. Who do you say that I am? And Peter speaks up, right? There in verse 20, Peter speaks up. He tends to be the one who speaks up. And here he speaks up again. He says, you are the Christ of God. In Matthew, it records that he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. So what is Peter saying? What Peter's saying here, he's saying, Jesus, you're more than a man. You're more than just a prophet, like what everybody else is saying. You are the son of the living God. You are the Christ. The Christ means the anointed one. You're the one of whom the whole test, the Old Testament speaks of and promises. Do you remember in Psalm 2? Psalm 2 speaks of the anointed one. And this anointed one is one that God sets up as king over the entire earth. And God gives authority to this one over the whole earth. And God says everyone must submit to, to this anointed one. Everyone must take refuge, should take refuge in this anointed one. And Peter says, you're that one. You're the Christ. You're the Son of God. Now that's quite a confession, isn't it? But do you notice how Jesus responds? It's a little bit startling. Did you see that in verse 21? Jesus responds and he, he responds by saying, don't tell anybody. <laughs> Peter just says, you're the son of God. You're the Christ. And, and Jesus says, don't tell anyone. Don't tell anyone. It's kind of an interesting response. In, in a way, what Jesus is implying is, you're right, Peter. You're absolutely right. I am the son of God. But I don't want you to tell anyone until certain things have taken place. What needs to take place first? What needs to take place? What does Jesus point to right here? The crucifixion, right? 
He says, I'm going to suffer. I'm going to be put to death. And I'm going to be buried and I'm going to rise on the third day. And then, Peter, then you can proclaim to the whole world what you have just confessed right here, right now. Does that make sense? And so, Peter is given insight into the person of Jesus Christ. And he confesses, Jesus, you're more than a prophet. You are the Son of God. But now I want us to step back and I want us to ask ourselves the question, how can Peter make this confession? What is the evidence um, for this confession? And what I want to do first is I want to acknowledge that no one can make this confession apart from God by His Spirit opening a person's eyes. God is the one who reveals to you and to me that Jesus is the Son of God. So that's bottom line. But I want to bring some other evidence here that points to Jesus being the Son of God that I think can be very helpful. I think at this point in your lives, you are making a transition. I'm assuming, how many of y'all grew up in a Christian home? Or, yeah, some, the vast majority of you growing up in a Christian home, heard the Christian faith, maybe had Christian parents. And this is a transition time in your life where you are have heard much from your parents and where you have to make it your own. Does it make sense? Where you have to come to your own conclusions. So this is a really appropriate passage What have you heard? What do people say about me? Maybe for you, most people you've heard say Jesus is the Son of God. But then now Jesus is turning to you and saying, but what do you say about me? And how can you, in your heart, solidify this issue, this this particular point that Jesus is the Son of God? How can you be convinced? Because unless you're convinced, if you still have questions or doubts regarding the person of Jesus... It's going to be very difficult for you to entrust your life to him. Does that make sense? So how can you come to this same conclusion? And I'm going to be drawing from a little book called, and I I was going to bring the book and I forgot, but it's a little book called uh, Basic Christianity by John Stott. I want you to write that down. You all have pens, so write down Basic Christianity, maybe at the top of your page, Basic Christianity by John Stott. Because I'm hoping that a few of you will actually go buy the book. Maybe you can pester your parents ask them to buy it. Uh, they might buy it for you. And and you read it. Uh, if you have questions, if you have doubts, if you just even don't really feel like you understand Christianity very well, the basics of Christianity, this would be a really great book. I just worked through it with one of my boys this past year, and it was really such a blessing to work through the basics of Christianity. And John Stott does a really good job. So you could, you could use this in your times of devotion with the Lord. Just every day, read a little bit and work through this book as you also read some of the Gospels at the same time, okay? And so I'm going to be working through some of the evidence that he gives for the deity of Christ. Everything rises or falls on whether Jesus is God or not. Do you realize that? If Jesus is not God, here's my suggestion to you. Christianity has nothing to offer you. You might as well walk away from it all. I'm just being really straightforward with you guys. If Jesus is not the Son of God, 
in Christianity is a big lie. And it really has nothing to offer you. You're wasting your time. But if Jesus is the Son of God, then you better pay attention to him. Because how you respond to Jesus Christ has eternal consequences. Does that make sense? So this is a massive question that we are putting before ourselves. So what I want to do is I want to first think about his claims. His claims are very impressive. The claims of Jesus. Now, most of you grew up in Christian homes and you're going to hear these verses and these are going to be very familiar verses to you. You've heard these claims before and partly you've been numbed to these claims. You've heard them so much that it's like, well, yeah, Jesus said that. Of course he said that. Yeah, I mean, that's what Jesus said. But they've lost the shock value. And I'm trying to, I I hope that this morning you'll listen with new ears. I want you to feel the shock value of some of these claims that Jesus makes. First of all, Jesus claimed to be the source of life. He said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall not hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. You imagine your pastor, Sunday morning, getting up, And saying, me, I, I am the bread of life. If you want life, you need to come to me. I've got life. you got to believe in me. What would you think if your pastor came up on Sunday morning and spoke those words seriously about himself? Would you not be thinking like, Yeah, the guy's crazy. He's off his rocker. Who does he think he is? He's nuts. Right? You wouldn't be thinking of him as, wow, my pastor's such an awesome dude. He's such a great guy. Is that what you'd be thinking? You know, what about the next Sunday? He gets up and he says, last Sunday, I'm the bread of life. This Sunday, I'm the light of the world. You know, who follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Would you be okay with that? You know, here's this man. But what you got to remember is Jesus was a man. He was a, a human being that was standing like I'm standing in front of you all, who was making these kinds of claims. And everybody else is looking at him like, really? Like, what? Like, right? That, these are big claims. These are shocking claims to make. Do, do you feel that? And at this point, you really only have a couple options. Either the claims are true... And Jesus is a good person and these are true claims. Or they're false and Jesus is a bad guy or a very crazy guy and you need to run away from him as fast as you can. Do you see those options? Let me me put up another one. I just want you to let these soak into you. I, when I'm lifting up from the earth, will draw men to myself. Imagine I said to you that today. 
So one day I'm going to be lifted up and everybody's going to come to me and bow down before me. Everyone. The whole world's going to come to me. What would you think of me if I made that claim? You'd be thinking like, this guy's blaspheming. This guy's got a pride issue. This guy is self-centered. You with me? Okay, let's go on to some other claims. Jesus claimed the authority to forgive sins. He says to a paralytic, a lame person, he says, my son, your sins are forgiven you. He says to an immoral woman, your sins have been forgiven you. Imagine I walk down this aisle and I just point at you and say, your sins are forgiven you. Your sins are forgiven you. I forgive your sins. Like, who do you think you are? Right? We all know that only God can forgive sins. To make this declaration is to make the declaration, I am God. Does that make sense? And I have the authority to forgive sins. These are shocking. These are outrageous claims if they are not true. Are you with me? All right, let's keep going. He claimed the authority to forgive sins. He claimed to be one with God. I am in the Father and the Father is in me. He who has seen me has seen the Father. Imagine I said that to you. You've seen me. You've seen God. Whoa! But but just as shocking as that is, is how shocking it would have come across with Jesus. Because he was a real person. He wasn't this ghostly person. He, he didn't shine like the sun, except at his transfiguration, but only a few people saw that. He, he was just an average-looking person. Right? A, a man. And he's making these sorts of claims. I and the Father are one. Okay. These are familiar passages, right? But do you feel the shocking nature of them? Let's keep going. Jesus claimed to be the only way to God. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. You want to get to God? You got to come to me. Imagine I said that. You got to believe in me. You got, you, you got to make your life all about me if you want to get to God, if you have any hopes of getting to God. I'm the way. These are huge claims. So, what do we do with these claims? Well, at this point, you need to realize that... And that's not the right page. You need to realize that there's a few, only a few options. And one option is gone. See, a lot of people out there say, Jesus is a good man, a great person, some great prophet. But that option isn't there anymore, is it? Can you just say that Jesus was a good man after you hear these claims? You can't, right? Because good people don't claim to be the center of the universe. Good people don't claim to be God. Good people don't claim to be the only way to God. Does that make sense? So here are your options. Your options are either Jesus is who he claims to be. He is God. And we better pay attention. Or he's a crazy man that we need to escort to a little home with a fence around it and give him a white coat. You know, just like you, you need to be locked up. 
or he's an evil man who is purposefully trying to deceive people. So either he's crazy and evil or he's good and from God. Do you see your options? It's really important to face these options because there is no option of, oh, he's a great person, you know, said some great things, lived a great life. No, he didn't. If he's lying, he didn't live a great life. You with me? But then I want us to take the next step. So there's really no middle ground. Either Jesus is evil or crazy or he's God. Okay. But here's the next step. Let's look at Jesus's character. Jesus's character. What kind of person was Jesus? If Jesus was deceived or deceiving people, if he was an evil kind of person, what would you expect him to be like? I would expect him to have a character that matched his claims, his, his, you know, this evil character. So I would expect him to be selfish, self-serving, looking down on others with contempt, only associating with rich people and poor people. Like, you, you scum down there. You know, I'm the center of the world. But is that what Jesus was like? No, when you look at the Gospels, you find something very interesting. You find that his life was characterized by sacrifice, selflessness, serving others, love for others. How does he spend his time? Well, he spends his time healing people, teaching people the ways of God, providing for their needs, caring for people. Who does he spend time with? He spends time with tax collectors and sinners. He spends time with people who are sick, lepers who nobody wants to touch or come around, blind beggars, poor people. He's attracted to those who are needy, those who recognize their need. And you think to yourself, well, that's very interesting, right? You have this option. Either he is evil or crazy, or he's good and God. Does it make sense? You have these two options. Which direction does his character point in? Which direction does it point in? Good and God or crazy or evil? Good and God, right? But he wasn't just a good person. He wasn't just a selfless, sacrificial person. But what's important for us to realize, he was a perfect person. He never sinned. He was without sin. He didn't just have good character. He had perfect character. Imagine a person who never sinned, who never had a wrong attitude, who never said a wrong thing, never lied, who never took advantage of anybody, who never had a wrong desire. This was Jesus. Note note some of his claims. Jesus said, which of you convicts me of sin? He's looking at the crowd. He says, which of you convicts me of sin? And no one answered. No one could point out anything wrong in Jesus. Later, he says, I always do the things that are pleasing to God. We say, well, that's Jesus. That's what he claimed. But what did others claim about Jesus? Well, Peter who was a disciple of Jesus, who was one of the closest disciples of Jesus, said of Jesus, he committed no sin. Nor was any deceit found in his mouth. Even Pilate, when he was put on trial, said, I find no guilt 
in him. And Judas, who also knew Jesus very well because he spent multiple years with Jesus, but who betrayed Jesus, comes back and brings back the money he got for betraying Jesus. And what does he say? He says, I have sinned by betraying what kind of blood? Innocent blood. So not only was Jesus a man of character, he was not a, he was a perfect man. A man without sin. So we ask ourselves the question. Jesus has made some shocking, enormous claims. Which way does his character point in? Does it point in the direction of crazy, evil, deceiving, or good in God? That he truly is who he claims to be. Well, let me ask you these questions. Do his, does his character point in the direction of his being crazy? Yes or no? No. Does his character, his life, does it point towards his being crazy? Does it point towards his being a deceiver? An evil deceiver? No. And so what direction does it point in? It points that perhaps he's speaking the truth when he claims to be God. Does it make sense? All right, one more line of evidence that I want to put before you, and that's the resurrection. In one sense, everything rises or falls on the resurrection. See, Jesus went to a cross. Why did he go to a cross? You know why he went to a cross. He went to a cross to bear the sins of mankind. Right? To bear our sins. To provide a way of salvation. And he was buried and he rose again. Did Jesus rise from the dead? If Jesus did not rise from the dead, he is not God. His claims are false. And it doesn't matter what his character was like. It's not true. Does this make sense? But if Jesus rose from the dead, he's the son of God. And so the resurrection proves that Jesus is who he claims to be. In fact, that's what we see in Romans chapter 1. And Jesus Christ, our Lord, was shown. He was demonstrated to be the Son of God. How? When he was powerfully, when God powerfully raised him from the dead by means of the Holy Spirit. So how do we know that Jesus rose from the dead? I could spend a whole session on this, but I'm just going to give you a few pieces of evidence here. We're just trying to build a case so that we can come to a conclusion regarding the person of Jesus Christ. Okay? First of all, the tomb was empty. How do we know the tomb was empty? Well, the early disciples, the disciples of Jesus, after the resurrection, start proclaiming, Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is risen from the dead. They, just, they start preaching this in the streets. And the religious leaders in Jerusalem hated it. They did not want that proclaimed. What would have been the easiest way for the religious leaders to prove the disciples false? What? Yeah. Go to the tomb. I know it's a little bit, but go to the tomb, roll the stone away, grab the body and show it to everybody. And say, hey, there's here's the body. Obviously, he isn't risen from the dead. But they don't do that. Why don't they do that? Because there's no body to show. The tomb is empty. In fact, they come up with a story. You know this, right? 
They come up with a story. They, they, they say, you know what? The disciples of Jesus stole the body. They stole the body and took it away. But that very story presupposes that the tomb is what? The tomb is empty. Okay? So that would be one line of evidence. There's no body. Why? Because Jesus rose from the dead. Secondly, many people bore witness to seeing Jesus alive. In fact, we're told in 1 Corinthians that over 500 people saw Jesus alive. That is, over 500 people would be willing to stand in court and say, yes, I saw Jesus with my own eyes. I saw Jesus alive, physically alive. That's a lot of people who are willing to bear witness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then thirdly, you could point to the fact that the resurrection had a huge effect. It was believable. Think about it. Jesus died. He was buried. What did the disciples do while Jesus was buried? They hid. They went into an inner room. They locked the door and they were hiding. Why? Why do you hide? Because you're what? Scared, right? They didn't want to go to a cross. And so they went and hid. After the resurrection, what do you, what happens? Complete transformation. These same men who were scared for their lives are standing in the open streets, preaching to thousands, Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is raised from the dead. Repent of your sins and come to Jesus. And they're not scared of anyone. And guess what? Thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people actually believe their word. And a megachurch is born in a few days. And they, and those people go all through the, the Roman Empire. And within a generation, the whole Roman Empire has heard the gospel. And today, really the whole world, the, the gospel is spread into most of the world. How could this be if it was just a lie, a deception. Does that make sense? And so, how do we know that Jesus is the Son of God? Well, how do we know Jesus is the Son of God? He made those claims. He claimed to be the Son of God. Secondly, his character points in that direction. And third, he rose from the dead. Those are massive pieces of evidence. But at the end of the day, God by His Spirit has to work in our hearts and open our eyes so that we too can make that big, that great confession like Peter. You are the Son of God. I want to ask you this question. I think this is a question that I believe God wants you to think about. And you see it there, the application question, who do you say that Jesus is? Who is Jesus to you? That's, that's number one. That's foundational. We can't really go beyond here until you know who Jesus is. Do you come to realize that Jesus is the Son of God? Who is Jesus to you? And what we're going to do is we're going to take a few minutes, um, and I'm going to have you guys go and find a place by yourself. And I have some questions. You see those questions on your notes? And I want you to spend 10, 15 minutes, you 
alone with your notes and your Bible. And I want you to think through those questions. I'd like you to write some things down. Okay. The first question is I want you to look over what we've talked about, his claims, his character, his resurrection. And I want you to just to jot out what are some things that stood out to you? What struck you? Okay. Secondly, why is it impossible for Jesus to be just a good person, but not God? Just a good person. Try to answer that question. We have talked about that, right? You all with me? Try to answer that question. And then I want you to really spend your time, the bulk of your time on that third question. Who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to you? And perhaps you're not ready to say, yes, he's the son of God, to make that confession that Peter made. And if you're not ready, I want you to write down why you're not ready. What are the the doubts? What are the questions that linger in your heart and your mind? Um, I think it's important for you to write those down, to face those questions. Those are questions that you could bring up in small group later tonight, or bring up. You know, maybe you can talk to one of one of the counselors. I'd be happy to talk to you. But what are those things that mm, that keep you from entrusting yourself to Jesus Christ? Who is Jesus to you? I believe you need to settle that in your heart. It's the most important, one of the most important things you can settle in your heart. And until you do, you won't be able to entrust your life to Jesus Christ without reserve. So I'm going to pray. And then you don't need to talk to each other just just go out you've got your pen you got your bible you got your paper just go out find a spot and then at 11 o'clock you can all get back together have your break and at 11 15 we'll come back for the third session is that clear to everybody okay let me pray father thank you for your word we thank you that you come to us and you ask us this question Who is Jesus? Who do you say that I am? And I ask that, Father, you would meet every one of these young people in these next few minutes. You would speak to them. And you would guide them. And you would open their eyes to see Jesus for who he is. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.